Father, we just thank you for the building that we're in. We thank you for, for the opportunity you've given us to, to reach out to this community through this building. And we, we, Lord, we want to see this to be a place where, where just lots of people come to hear your word and to, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, so I just, you're, you're in charge of this. You do what you will, and we know it's going to happen, and we just thank you for that. Father, I, I, as we come to this text today in Second Peter, this is one of those texts, Lord, that, that uh, is, is like uh, swallowing medicine. It doesn't go down very easy, Lord. And, and so uh, uh, it's not boring, but it's, it's, it's a text a lot of us don't like. It's a text some of us would rather ignore, uh, Lord, as we talk about this subject of submission. But, but it's here. It's here in your Bible. And, Lord, uh, whether we like it or not, then uh, we, we need to see how you look at our... Uh, uh, obedience to the authorities above us, and and I just ask that you just show us that uh, today by by your grace. You open our ears, Lord, and help us not to be so rebellious. Help us to be like Jesus Christ, Lord, who 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 didn't say a word as he was sent to the slaughter. Who who submitted himself to every authority, Lord, and in the process, Lord, he he saved us and saved our souls and so help us to be like him show us how we can be like him today in this text i just ask it in jesus name amen all right uh if you have your bibles again turn to second peter second peter and we're going to be in chapter number two beginning at verse number 11 first peter yeah not second peter i'm sorry first peter chapter chapter number two I was just testing you. you. You passed the test. All right. There was once this pastor who had a real heavy foot when he drove. He put the pedal to the metal. He loved the speed. Can you imagine that, a pastor doing that? And so one day he was caught speeding. And the policeman pulled him over, and he began to write him a ticket. And he said, look, officer, I'm on a, don't give me a ticket. I'm on a mission for the Lord. And the officer said, pastor or preacher, I read the same Bible you read. And my Bible tells me, go into the highways and byways and bring them in. And I'm bringing you in. I'm on my mission, just like you are. Now, actually, even though that policeman took that verse out of context, I actually think he was on more solid ground theologically or biblically than the pastor was, because we are told in the Bible over and over again that we are to submit to authorities. That means we're to obey speed limits. And it also, in the Bible, we're told that policemen and other authorities are really serving as the arm of God. They're enforcing the will of God. They administer His justice. So here's the lesson for today. Slow down. Don't get any tickets. Well, we've got to go deeper than that. I mean, we could, we could say a prayer and go home, but, but that's one of the messages. Now, Peter in the text today, he's going to remind us that we're just passing through this land, that we're sojourners that we're pilgrims, that we're, not, that we're really not planted here. Our, our heavenly home is, is the heavenly city of Zion. It's not, 
It's not this earth. And uh, that causes some people to get the idea that since I'm a pilgrim, since I'm a Christian, then I really don't have any responsibility as a citizen of my own land. Well, that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Actually, it teaches the opposite. It teaches that we're to be model citizens, that we're to respect authority and obey the laws of the land. When, when God saved us, you know what? It would have been really nice if God had saved me and said, well, George is saved. I'm going to uh, baptize him in my spirit. I'm going to uh, cleanse him of all his unrighteousness. He's perfect now. He's, he's sanctified forever in Jesus Christ. Let's take him out of here. Just right on up to heaven. That would have been a really good deal. But it doesn't work that way, does it? God saves us, and then what does he do? He leaves us here. He leaves us here. Can you imagine that? He leaves us here. And he leaves us here for a purpose, so that we can be witnesses so that we can honor him by the life in which we live. And so when we honor authorities, we honor our king, the king of kings. When we disrespect authorities, we disrespect the king of kings and lord of lords. Listen to what he says beginning down in verse number 11. And watch how he starts his beloved. When he says beloved, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to us, the church. Beloved, what's he mean, beloved? You're beloved by Jesus Christ. Just like, remember when the angel came to Daniel and he said, you're beloved by God? You know, God feels the same way about you. You're beloved. You're beloved. And so he says, beloved. And watch how he says it. I beg you. I beg you. I beg you as soldiers. Now, why do we have to beg us? Why did he command that they abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Why, why, did he, why did he have to beg them? Because as we're going to see in verse number 16, we're free. In Jesus Christ, we're free. We're free to do what we want to do. All things are lawful. All things don't edify, but all things are lawful. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So we've been set free. And so, so he begs us. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, that, that they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So first of all, he says, I beg you to abstain from fleshly lust. And, and, and he says, I beg you as sojourners. What's a sojourner? That's somebody who's passing through a land. They, they're, they're journeying through a land. They're not planning in that land. That's who we are, pilgrims. Pilgrims are people who, 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 play, who come to a land, but that's not their homeland. It's a different land. So we're not only pilgrims. We're pilgrims who are just passing through this land. But while we're here, we're to abstain from the lust which war against the soul. Now, he's kind of set this up, what he's going to say here, with the preceding passages in 1 Peter. Remember what he's told us so far. You can look back here. He says you have an eternal, in verse chapter number 1, you have an eternal inheritance reserved for you in heaven. We're told that we have the word of God which endureth forever. That supernaturally changes us while we're here on earth. Uh, we are kept by the power of God into salvation. We've been made living stones, being built up into a living building 
we're being built up into the church of God, the very habitation of God. Now, why does he tell us all of that? So, so that we can be the kind of people we're supposed to be. He told us in the, in the, very, uh, in the last part that we looked at in chapter number uh, 2, verse 9, he told us that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood means we're the, we're the priest of the king. We've been, we've been selected by the king. We're chosen by him. We're royalty. And we're to live like royalty. We're to live like children of the king while we're on this earth. And, and uh, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we do that by abstaining from fleshly lust. We are holy as he is holy. So we abstain from fleshly lust. What are fleshly lust? What are fleshly lust? Well, you go back and read the letters of Paul, and he'll give you all sorts of lists about fleshly lust. But you know what? If you're truly a born-again believer, you don't need a list. You don't need a list. You know why? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. I mean, you know. Nobody has to tell you what's a fleshly lust. You know what a fleshly lust is because a fleshly lust wars against your soul. You know what? If you're doing something that you know is wrong, and you're a born-again believer, and it can be categorized as idolatry or or fornication or something like that, or drunkenness or, or drug use or any of those things, you don't have to have anybody show you a list. You know that it's wrong because your flesh wars against your spirit and your spirit wars against your flesh, and you know that that's wrong. And so Paul said, I mean, Peter says, I beg you as sojourners to abstain from fleshly lust. You know, fleshly lusts are things that harm the body, which is the temple of God, things that hurt others. You, when you slander someone or gossip about someone, you're hurting that person. And that's a fleshly lust. And you know it's wrong. And, and anything that tarnishes our witness here on earth, we can categorize as a fleshly lust. If you have no witness, it's because you're not abstaining from fleshly lust. Then he says in verse 12, he says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Actually, that word Gentiles, you could translate as nations or peoples. Really, to be specific, as heathen nations and people, as pagan nations and people. I mean, in, in that where we're at, in this foreign land, God has placed us among the pagans. I mean, I, I used to not think that about the United States of America, but I've got to tell you, we're about as pagan as a country can be. We live in a pagan land, a heathen land, and God's placed us there, and he wants our conduct to be honorable so that when they speak, not if they speak, when they speak evil things against you or they speak of you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, these Christians here that Peter was writing to, they were accused of all sorts of things. They were accused of atheism because they didn't have any idols. 
So everybody said, you can't worship a God because you can't see your God. You don't have a God. You're an atheist. They were accused of polytheism because they worshiped the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were accused of terrorism. When things went wrong in Rome, they often blamed it on the Christians. Even when, they burned, when Nero burned Rome down, he blamed it on the Christians. So they were accused of terrorism. They were accused of cannibalism. You know, some people think we're really weird people. When we talk about eating of his body and drinking of his blood at the Lord's Supper, to them, that's cannibalistic. They actually accused the Christians of eating their, drinking their baby's blood and eating their baby's flesh because they were running around talking about eating of the body and drinking of the blood. They were accused of insurrection because they didn't bow down to Caesar. And so they were accused of insurrection. So they were accused of all sorts of things. Now, things aren't as bad, baby, as they were in the days of Peter. But let me tell you, they're getting pretty bad out there now. There's a lot of people who speak evil of you, who call you an evildoer. A while back I heard Rosie O'Donnell say that Christians are more dangerous than the 9-11 terrorists who ran the planes into those towers in New York. Elton John said if he were put in charge of the world, the first thing he would do would be to ban Christianity. Because Christianity, he says, is a religion of hate and fear. A religion that worships a false god. And he would have it, he would have it banned immediately. Now, he's not going to ever be in charge of anything, but, but uh, he kind of mouths what a lot of people in the world believe. Because I heard our attorney general say, I heard our attorney general and our homeland security uh, uh, head say that... Uh, Fundamentalist Christians, evangelical Christians, are as dangerous as Muslims. That is not true. But that's, what, that's the way some people see us. So there are a lot of people out there spouting out evil against us, and, and they're going to do it more and more. And what should our response be? What should our response be? What should our response be when, when people speak evil of us? Should we strike back at them? That's what I do. That's probably what some of you do, but that's not what we should do. What should we do? You know what? He tells us right here, we're to prove them wrong. That's, that's, how, that's what we're supposed to do. And how do we prove them wrong? We pr prove them wrong by our royal conduct, by our conduct worthy of our king. That's how we prove them wrong. We prove that we are different, not different in a strange way. Some of you are different in a strange way. Well, none of you, but there's some so-called Christians that are different in a strange way. That's not what he's talking about. We're different in a good way. We're different in the fact that we abstain from fleshly lust. We're different in the fact that, that we love the Lord, that we love God. And hopefully, we can prove our critics wrong, and hopefully, we will cause them to glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, what's it mean? What's he mean by that? What's Peter mean by that? That we will cause them to glorify God in the day of visitation. What's the day of visitation? What's he talking about? Well, there's several interpretations for this. Let me just give you a few of them. The first one is that, that the day of visitation that Peter is talking about right here is a special day. A special day where God comes to someone who's lost. He comes to him by the power of his Holy Spirit 
He convicts that person of sin. He convicts that person of righteousness through Jesus Christ. And that person has seen you and seen what a wonderful person you are and what a, what, what a royal priest you are. And on that special day, they decide based upon the wooing of the Holy Spirit and based upon your witness that they're going to receive Jesus Christ. That's why some people see this passage. Now, I have a problem with that because God doesn't limit his work in individuals to one day. He doesn't do that. I don't know about you, but I believe he was there when I took my first breath. He was there when the first day I went to school. He was there when I did good things and when I've done bad things. God has always been there. God has always been working in my life. I certainly believe in special days. I mean, I had a special day on August the 23rd, 1989 when I got saved. That was a very special day. But God, if, man, if God hadn't been working to me, in me and protecting me and watching over me before August the 23rd, 1989, I would have been long gone. Long gone. So God is working in us all the time. So I don't believe that's what uh, uh, Peter is talking about here. Well, some people say that he's talking about the day of judgment, the white throne judgment seat, when, when the lost will appear before, the white, before Jesus Christ at the white throne judgment seat. And in that day, I'll tell you one thing, everyone is going to glorify God because every knee will confess I mean, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will be glorified in the day of judgment. There's no doubt about that. And, and the people that take that interpretation say that your good works will be a witness against those people at the day of judgment. In other words, they saw your relationship with the Lord. They saw how the Lord had worked in your life, and yet they didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And your, your witness actually cries out and condemns them. Well, I've got a problem with that, too. And let me tell you, the main problem I've got with it, God doesn't need our witness to condemn anybody. He doesn't need our witness at all. His word condemns people, convicts people. He says that the wages of sin is death. He says that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the conviction right there. And men are without excuse. They don't... Whether we give them a good witness or not, they can't blame us because we didn't give them a good witness. Because listen to what Paul says over in Romans chapter number 1. Go over to Romans. Hold your place there at 1 Peter and go back, Acts, and then Romans. Listen to what he says here. You know, people, I hear preachers sometimes say, man, if you don't, pre, if you don't, Witness to somebody, then, then God can't save them, and that's your responsibility. I, certainly, I believe in witnessing, and I certainly believe we have an obligation and a great responsibility to witness. But that, our witness is not necessary to condemn anybody. Listen, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because... What may be known of God is manifest to in them, for God has shown it to them. God has shown everybody that He He's shown everybody His existence, the fact that He exists, the fact that they're sinners. The Holy Spirit's gone into the world to convict people of sin. For since the creation of the world, this invisible attributes are his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things 
that are made even his eternal power and his Godhead so that they are without, look at that, didn't say anything about because of our witness, they are without excuse. Saw a pretty good movie the other night, that new movie, Miracles from Heaven. It's got a few theological holes that you could criticize it on, but it's a good little movie. And one of the points that the movie makes, this, this child is, has this disease, and at the end of the movie she has a miracle and she's totally healed. And her mother, at that point, who's kind of rejected the Lord, comes back to the Lord. But what she realizes, once her child is healed, God had been working miracles all along in their life. That there was miracle after miracle. She was just refusing to see it. Even when she was sick, there were all sorts of miracles that God was doing in her life. And, and that's the way it is. We're without excuse. Look, I tell you what, you, you see a baby born, you watch a baby be born, you're without excuse. That can only be God. You watch a beautiful sunset, a rainbow, that can only be God. Men and women are without excuse because although, verse 21, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. In their hearts, their wicked hearts, they rebelled against God. Your witness had nothing to do with it, good or bad. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let me tell you what. You turn your heart against God, and you turn your heart on the things that he shows you about himself, your heart is not going to receive more light. It's only going to get darker and darker and darker. You come to the light, and you'll get more light. But you head into darkness, and things will get darker and darker and darker and darker. So, so I don't agree with that interpretation. I mean, who had the greatest witness ever on this earth? Jesus. But he didn't say, I bring my witness so you can live like me and you can get saved. He didn't say that at all. He, so you won't be condemned. He didn't say that. In fact, he said almost the opposite. He said, I did not come in the world to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. In other words, I came to bear witness of God, but, I, but, but the world's already condemned. And you're not saved by his witness. You're saved by what? By the cross, by the blood. Now, let me give you the right interpretation. Back to 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse 12 there. What's the day of visitation? I'll tell you what it is. It is the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is actually more than one day. The day of the Lord includes the rapture, the great tribulation, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the day of the Lord. That's the day of visitation. And I have no doubt what Peter is saying right here is this, that there will be some on that great day of the Lord who once cursed you and once, cur and once cursed God who will now glorify God. And the reason they'll glorify God is because they're saved. And the reason they got saved is because of your witness, because you lived the way God wanted you to live. And you bore testimony to him. And they, through your testimony, were saved. That's what he's talking about there. How do you bear testimony? How do you bear testimony? How do you live royally uh, in this pagan and lost world? First of all, you abstain from fleshly lust. You got to abstain from fleshly lust. 
Hey, if you're living like the rest of the world, you have no witness. But if you abstain from fleshly lust, fleshly lust, those things that war against the soul, that doesn't mean you can't go out to eat or you can't watch a movie or something like that, like some people teach, or you can't dance or you can't do this. That's not what it's about. But you can't slander people. You can't gossip. You can't lie. You can't steal. You know all of these things. You can't be a drunkard. You can't be a, a drug addict. You can't be any of those things and bear witness. You might be saved, but you cannot bear witness uh, as a child of the king. You can't do it. You can't honor the king if you're doing those things. But there's something else we have to do in order to bear witness. Some of you might want to close your ears here because this is almost a terrible word. Diane. Submission. <laughs> Nobody scream or anything. Submission. Man, that's a tough one. Let's just pray and go home. We don't want to, we don't want to cover submission. We're going to cover submission for the next couple of weeks. I know I shouldn't have said that because there will be nobody here next week, but you're here already, so you get part of it today. And the very first way we honor the king by our submission is by submitting to our government. That's a tough one. That's a very tough one. And what now, he's going to show us later on that we're going to submit to one another too, and, and that means we put our needs above their needs. But today he's going to talk about submitting to our government. And it's through, by, through abstaining from flesh, from fleshly lust, and by submitting that we win people to Christ. Now, you talk about a responsibility. That's a great responsibility. Look at, look at verses 13 and 14. He says, therefore, therefore, since you're being watched by this pagan world, by these pagans that are all around you, since you want to impact their life, and you can't impact their life by your royal conduct, since you can do all those things, look what he says, submit yourselves. Now you're free to do what you want to do. And Peter says, I beg you to abstain from fleshly lust. And he would say here, I beg you to submit yourselves to some of the things you, some of the laws you like to obey. Man, Peter, why do you say this? Every, every ordinance. What's every mean in the Greek? Every. Every ordinance of man. We're to submit to that. Every single one. Now, there's some exceptions. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, not many. But we're to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now, Peter was living in a time, you, you might not like Barack Obama, you might love Barack Obama. I'm not going to say anything about Barack Obama, I'd violate this text. But Peter was living in a time when the, Ruler was much worse than 
what you might think Barack Obama is or George Bush or whoever. Caesar was the ultimate king. And under Caesar were governors and satraps, men like the Herods. Read up on the Herods. You talk about ruthless men. You talk about tyrants. You talk about evil men. You talk about unjust men, unfair men. Man, read about the Herods. And Peter says, in that situation, he says you're to submit to those ordinances, those men make, not for their sake, but for the Lord's sake. Because as I said earlier, if you submit to those those ordinances, you honor our king. If you disobey those ordinances, you dishonor our king. Man, that's, that's pretty bad. And, and then look at what he says in, this, in, the, in verse 14. He says, Or to governors as, as to those who are sent by him. Now, I would capitalize him there. I think the him should be capitalized because I think it means they're sent by God. Do you realize that every authority in every land is appointed by God? Every authority in every land is appointed by God. Oh, no, Pastor, not, 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 uh, not our governor. Oh, I like our governor. Not our president. Not the president of Iran. I can't, I, I can't be. I can't be. You don't think so? Go back, go back to Romans again. Go to chapter 13. Look at verse number 1, Romans 13, verse number 1. Let every soul, that's every one of us, be subject to the government authorities. Watch this. For there is no authority except from God. What's no mean in the Greek? No, none. There are no authorities except from God. Now, there are some evil men on throne somewhere that I don't think God's made them evil. But God's allowed them to be in power. When he wants to move them, he'll move them. But there's no authority. I don't care who wins the presidency of the United States. If it's Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Ted Cruz. Don't cheer for Ted Cruz because he's about as bad as the rest of them. I mean, they... Or whoever gets in that office is placed there by God. Or they're allowed to be there by God, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now that verse is just like John 3.16. It's inspired by the Lord. You might not like it, but that's so what it is. Therefore, whoever resists the ordinance, the authority or the ordinance of these men resists. The ordinances of God. If you rebel 
against government authorities, you are resisting God. That pastor got that ticket. And some of you have gotten tickets. And our first thing, I got a ticket on the way to the hospital to have surgery. I, I, I begged the guy for having surgery. He said, I don't care. It's $175. God gave me that ticket. I said, Lord, give me a break. I'm on the way to have surgery. But that's the way I saw it, because that's what it says right here. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Because all of these authorities, these policemen and all of these officers and, and IRS agents and all of these this government agencies that enforce the laws, listen to what he says about them. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Then don't speed. Or don't break the law. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. I don't know about that. Now, I've never had anybody, policeman, pull me over and praise me for going the speed limit. But at least he's not looking at me like he wants to kill me because he's giving me a ticket. Look, if you go to jail, if you get a ticket, if you get a fine, it's not the policeman doing it. It is God doing it. It is God doing it. Now, there's exceptions. There's some times where there's an evil policeman or an e evil government agent who, who does something evil, and, and, and then you've got to trust God to get you out of that situation, and he will. But most of the time, you know, I know I've had a, some trouble with the law in my life, and I brought it on myself. I brought it on myself. It wasn't a policeman's fault. I had some nasty policemen arrest me back when I was in Las Vegas and pushed me around and threw me around, and I wanted to kill them. But that wasn't there. That was God disciplining me and really saving my life at that time. But wait a minute, Pastor. I mean, what, what if our government is evil? What if it's corrupt? Hello. <laughs> it's going to be evil and corrupt. And let me tell you a principle. The more evil we become, the more evil our government becomes. The more we abuse our freedoms, the less freedoms we have. And that's exactly what's happening in America today. And we're on the verge of having a tyrannical rule in the United States of America. You never would have thought that. But if it happens, don't blame the Clintons. Blame our, we blame ourselves. And the more we push God out of, out of our lives, the more the government comes in. And the more powerful the government becomes. But, but, listen to me, whether we like our government or not, we are to submit to our government. Because it is the arm of God for justice to protect those who do good, to punish those who do evil. And the more evil this country becomes, the more and more our government's going to take power. And the more and more policemen there are going to be, and the more and more federal agencies are going to be to micromanage an evil society. 
Now, look at verse number 15, going back. Encouraging stuff, huh? All right, verse 15. For this is the will of God. This is the will of God. That by doing good, by abstaining from fleshly lust, and by submitting to the ordinances of your government, that you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Foolish men who say that Christians are terrorists. Foolish men who say that, that, that Christians are hate mongers. How do we put them to silence? We, we obey the ordinances of our land. We abstain from fleshly lust. You know, there's a great passage. Sometimes you get a chance to read it over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it speaks of how Jesus made the good confession before Pontius Pilate. You know what his good confession was? He didn't say anything. He said a few sentences, but that was it. He didn't try to defend himself. He submitted to the sentence of death that the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to place on him. He submitted to that because those agencies, those governmental agencies, were the arm of God. It was God who put Jesus Christ. You can say your sin put him there, but God put him there to pay for your sin. And he submitted in silence. He made the good confession. And we're to do likewise. Then in verse number 16, he says, as free. I mean, you have the freedom. You want to rebel against your government, you can rebel. You're free. You want to rebel, partake in fleshly lust, you're free to do that. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. you're going to make a mess of your life. Not, yet not using liberty for a cloak of vice. Because you're free doesn't mean you live like the rest of the world. But you live as bond servants of God. Why do we submit to governments? Because we love the Lord. Why do we abstain from fleshly lust? Because we're servants of the Lord. We want to do his will. We want to honor the king. Then he finishes up in verse number 16. He says, honor the people you like. Is that what it says? Honor all people. People you like and people you don't like. We're to give honor to all of them. Governments we like and governments we don't like. People we like, people we don't like. But we're to especially love the brotherhood. You remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6? Do not grow weary in doing good, especially to the household of God. We're to especially love one another, those of us who are Jesus Christ. We're to show love for one another. And here's something I think that's missing in Christianity today. We're to fear God. We're to fear God. You know, over in Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that our duty is to, is to honor God in all that we do because he will bring every work, every work into judgment, whether good or whether bad. Well, a lot of us don't believe that. Now, thank God that I've been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses me from all unrighteousness. But, but my work still will be judged. 
not for condemnation, not to condemn me to hell, but I, it, my rewards will be based upon my works. So we're to fear God. We're to walk through this earth, our time on this earth, fearing God, having reverence for God, living as bond servants to God. And then we're to honor the king. We're to honor the king. That's not in caps there, but I would put it in caps. But either way, it's the same thing because when you honor the king of, of the United States of America, you honor the king of kings. And so we're to honor the king. Okay, let's go somewhere else next time. That's a tough text, isn't it? You know what? That is especially tough for Americans. Especially tough for Americans. Because we're a very independent people. We're spoiled. We're a very, I'd say this, we're rebels at heart. I mean, our nation was founded in rebellion. And not long after that, we had a civil war. We had this great rebellion where millions of people died. Man, we're rebels. Benjamin Franklin, I put that in the bulletin. You know what he wanted to put as the motto of the United States on the great seal of America? He wanted to put rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God. In other words, rebellion is at the heart of this nation. Rebellion against tyrants, against government, tyrants is obedience to God. You know what? Benjamin Franklin was wrong. That is not obedience to God. He didn't read 2 Peter. He didn't read Romans chapter 13. We're not to rebel against government officials, even if they are tyrants. The only time we're to rebel, that's, there are exceptions. The only time we're to rebel is if, if God tells us to, or if the government tells us to do something that violates our godly conscience. Other than that, we're to submit to every ordinance of mankind. And when we do that, we honor the king. And you can't go wrong by honoring the king. And we do that through abstaining from fleshly lust and through submission to our government. You know, I'm a rebel at heart. That's a tough one to swallow. But it's there. As I said, just like John 3.16 is there. And so we need to obey our government. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact you have ordained governments to protect us from evil and to, to promote good in our society. Lord, our governments look pretty bad right now. But, Lord, you allow those governments to be on the throne, and you have your reasons, Lord. And I, I just ask today that, that uh, we learn to be a royal priesthood, that we learn to live like children of the king instead of children of the devil, that we learn to abstain from fleshly lust that war against our soul, Lord, and to obey those authorities that you've placed above us. Help us to learn to submit, Lord, because it's in our learning, it's in our submission to our government that we learn to submit to you. If we don't submit to our governments, we're not submitting to you. So we just thank you for what you teach us through your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.